what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Patalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to episode 18, The Stealthy Rich, Quietly Growing One House at a Time. I'm Frank Patalano, and I'm here with Jimmy Murray to help you crush your goals in real estate. So, this is an episode that Frank's been really excited about for a long time. Um, and it's been really fun to watch these guys grow on Instagram as well. Um, I think the level's ahead of us in terms of followers. Uh, but just the strategy motivation behind what they do, um, I would say they're really similar to kind of how we feel about investing in real estate. So really excited to have the Stealthy Rich on this podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We really, really uh, enjoy your, your podcast and and the content you put on Instagram. So really excited and honored to be here. Awesome. So uh, we only have one of the Stealthy Rich with us today, which is, uh, as, as they say, since uh, they're carbon cop- copies of each other and since we will never know their names, this works out perfectly anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you know, I'll give you my first name. So my name is Chris and my partner's name is Dave. So we can, we can go with that. So Chris and Dave. Fair right, enough. That's cool. uh, Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, um, so did you grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth or something or, or what's up? You know, I mean, I was a middle-class family growing up. My dad was, a, a, you know, middle management in a, in, in a, a small, small regional grocery store chain. Uh, I mean, I had everything I ever needed, but, you know, there was always wealthier people around me. But, I, you know, I got to go to college, and I got an IT degree, and I went to a very inexpensive school. And so I did exit uh, that, that school with zero debt. And so that was, I think, one of... The proponents that helped me launch is I, I was not burdened with debt as I see a lot of my friends and a lot of people in America that just have this crushing student debt. And so I attribute a lot of that to help me get started because I was able to save money and uh, live in a very low cost of living place. I live in Houston, Texas. I've lived here for 13, 14 years now. And so I was able to and then mix that with some, some frugal uh, living at first and I was able to save and kind of get ahead. And so that so- was, I mean... How quickly did you get started investing in real estate once you got out of college? Yeah, that's a good point. So I, it wasn't quick enough. <laughs> I, <laughs> Fair enough. I, I feel so the I, same I, way. Yeah. Right. So I grew up and I, I, had a, I had a good job. I worked for a big four accounting firm, uh, you know, and I thought I'd made it. Uh, but, you know, quickly I learned the, the difference between owning a company and being an employee. And, yeah. you know, I, even though I had a good salary, I, I was doing the math. And I was like, I don't have to do this for 30 years. <laughs> the normal the normal cycle and that just was not good enough for me i so i uh my wife uh, doesn't work she's a she's full-time mother we have four, nice. four kids and so you know and so i see all my other friends dual income families and i'm like I, there's no way i'm gonna be able to get ahead here and so one day at a, a lunch a business lunch i went to just you know try to get away from from the cubicle rot the cubicle hell uh, go out to lunch. I, uh, I used to call it, I used to call it the cube farm. So yeah, cube farm. exactly. And so I went to lunch with a, with a new guy who had moved to Houston, a friend from, uh, from, from church. And we just started talking about, Hey, what could we do? You know, side hustle is a new thing for me, that term. What could we do to, to kind of jumpstart or launch, you know, a, a, or shorten our sentence? We'd call it. How do we shorten our sentence <laughs> in the cube farm? 
Right. <laughs> your, so, your story is like so similar to mine. Like as you're, you're hitting on all these keywords, because honestly, I have a great friend who now runs a brewery and we used to refer okay. to, to our job at a financial firm as Shawshank. And we were like, <laughs> always talk about what you do to dig the tunnel last night. Right. So like what you do to build your side right. hustle in order to continue to get closer to getting out and living the life that you want to live. So like all the things that you're talking about, I feel, I feel you on a deep level. I think most people cool. um, that are involved in real estate that we know, most of the investors, wish they had started earlier. Right. The only thing right. I question so, is how much of that is where we are in the market. And I don't think that's that way for us. But I'm just saying that I feel a lot of people probably feel that way right now. 100%, I wish I, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I bought more when I started. I mean, I, I bought my first one at 23, so kind of fresh out of college. Um, I didn't realize how good the market was. You know, I bought my first one in 2012, the end of 2012. Absolutely no idea how good it was. And now, you know, right, been able to build... yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, this I, is cool. I still can remember. I can still remember four or five deals that we just could not come to an agreement over like a thousand dollars. We were just that close and we said, no, nah, that's too expensive for us. And yeah. now, you know, we're talking, these are houses that were going for sixty-five, dollars $70,000 and now they're worth. In Houston, 140, 150, you know, they've doubled. And so, you know, so that those, I, I kicked myself for not, not buying every single one. But, uh, but yeah, so to answer your question, I started in 2013. Uh, and so that's, and again, it was uh, me and Dave, we, you know, we said, hey, let's do this thing. Let's, let's figure it out. And he had, he had bought a few with a partner in, in, his, in his graduate school on the other side of the state. Uh, and so he had a little bit of experience. And so he's like, let's do it again. And, you know, and he took a chance on me, and we dove in together, and uh, you know we're now we have 52, 52 doors, and so that's been something that's been really, you know, in five, in what's that six years, and so that's and and it's been you know just to watch that snowball uh, grow has uh, been has been phenomenal. And to answer your question, why why I think you asked why we got into real estate is because the other reason not wanting to work for thirty years, but then you know. I used to trade a lot in the market, the stock market, and I still believe in the stock market, but I, I, I could see that I had limited information compared to everyone else. I mean, or at least yes, to, the, right. to institutional investors. All the action yep. happened in pre-market trade, after-market trading, and, and, I, and, and then just, I would never, the biggest thing was, you know, I learned about margin. I was like, I'm never trading on margin. That's too dangerous for me <laughs> to borrow money to buy stocks, but we borrow money all the time to buy real estate, and it just, you know, magnifies your return. And so that... Once I made that connection, I said goodbye to the stock market, except for for retirement funds and whatnot. But yep. and just doubled down on real estate. Yeah, that's so. Coming out of the investment industry, I share a very similar sentiment, right? Like, I think it's part of the overall strategy, but real estate right. there's just you can isolate so many more variables to get yourself more comfortable with the investment that you know you're taking down. Right, and you can control them, or at least I feel like I feel like I control so much more. The deal, or I can, can decide who lives in my house. Obviously, I can't decide what they do in there, but you can right. you can kind of mitigate your risk. At least I feel like more than uh, um, than than and then in the normal investment vehicle. So, plus, plus yeah. you said the like you said the leverage is uh, is a lot easier to swallow Powerful. on the um, real estate side well, than it is on the stock side. And the tax benefits, and yeah, all, there's all kinds of other. I always say this. We always talk about this, me and Dave. Like the government has picked winners and losers. Yeah, in the in the you know in the in the country, and they picked real estate as a winner. Obviously, I you know incentivize gives people a place to live, and but there's so many. I was floored the first year 
I got my, my K-1s back from, from our uh, accountant and I showed a huge loss and I, I had to ask him, I was like, is this legal? Like, are, are, you, are you cooking the books? Right. I, I couldn't believe it. And when, it was just another eye opening moment. I think this is insane. Uh, right. You know, with just all the different the different uh, things you can do with real estate and, and taxes, and they're totally legal, and it's it's amazing to me. Absolutely. So as you guys start taking, or you guys start down the path of taking outdoors here, like where do you start? Yeah. So we started, to be honest, we started as with a group of of five people. So that lunch I mentioned, there was five of us at that lunch, all very successful uh, business professionals. And so we all kind of dipped our toes in the water together into an LLC, and we bought just a simple house that was an okay deal back in 2013 off the MLS. You know, okay. and so it was it was easy. It was, you know, and and uh, my uh, Dave was a, was a was an agent at the time, so that was helpful, kind of guided us through the path um, through the through the process. And so we bought that house and. We, we had a pretty sweet uh, financing deal at the time. It was a Merrill Lynch product. It was interest only. <laughs> so I think on that house, I think, I think we paid $90,000 for it, and it, the note on it was $92 a month. <laughs> so, that is absolutely was, incredible. Yeah, and the rent yeah. was twelve fifty. So we felt really <laughs> wow. safe. You know? And so we cranked out, I think, five of those houses as a group. Uh, and then we, we quickly learned uh, just through, you know, that some of those partners – they weren't bad. They just weren't as passionate about it. They just didn't, you know, they, they want to be money guys. They want to be passive investors, and that's great. And so uh, me and Dave decided, hey, let's break off because we, we like, we're in this. We want, to get, we want to get our hands dirty. And so we kind of dove in head first and created another LLC. Uh, and that first deal was interesting. So that one we bought, and it was a much more edgy deal. I think we paid $49,000 for this house, four-bedroom, two-bath house. Uh, you know, 1,700 square feet, and the deal was, it was on the MLS as well, but the seller had gotten a bid for like $65,000 for foundation repair work. Oof. And so, and so, you know, so she, they were selling at a huge discount because they just didn't want to deal with it. And of course, you know, the, some of the doors didn't shut right. There were cracks in the walls uh, and whatnot. But we went in there, and we found, through, through our connections, we found a contractor who said he could fix the whole thing for $5,000. That's incredible. <laughs> so, and, and right, so we dove in, and I was super worried, right? Because I was still new to me, and and just the thought of buying this damaged, at least in my eyes, a damaged asset with all of our cash, because you couldn't get a loan on it. Um, and we did, and they were digging three by three foot holes in the in the middle of the living room, you know, with a pile <laughs> of dirt. And I'm just like, what is going on here? And all over the house, they raised the back of the house probably 12 inches. This is the, all the all the foundations in Houston are, are slab. And so it's uh, just yep. cement. And so they raised, they put these piers underneath it and jack it up. And it, they raised it so much that it popped the electrical box off the, off the, the, the line. And so, and so we had to, so I'm just, what, what have we gotten into? But we fixed everything for, you know, probably, I think it was less than, uh, you know, $15,000. Redid all the floors, painted everything. House uh, for, you know, $1,200, $1,300. And then, we refinanced it with a loan, or I guess you should say finance it with a loan. We didn't have a loan to begin with. And it, you know, it appraised for $95,000. So we got all our money back out. And so that was my first experience with a, with a bird deal, if you will. Right. And so, um, and so we just went, and then once I experienced that, I said, I need a hundred more of these. That is like an addiction at that point. And this is, it was just so amazing to me. 
And so I, I that's pause kind of right what there. started on that tear. I want yeah. to pause you right there and talk about damaged assets. Uh, I love that term. I've never used it before. But um, I would say that most of my sweet deals have been damaged assets in one way or another. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. And it's something that I you find it. a problem and then you, fi you, you figure out a way if you can fix it. And you can fix it probably cheaper or more effectively faster than the average Joe because of, because of your, you know, your connections or your knowledge. And that's what we can do now is we know, you know, when we see a house that's, you know, damaged or, you know, disrepair or deferred maintenance, we can walk through it in 10 minutes and say, okay, it needs this, this, and this, and it's going to cost X, Y, and Z. And then we just offer on that. And then, you know, if, and, and then we know we're going to make money. So we always say we make all our money on the buy. There you go. Um, you know, and we don't try to, you know, we're not trying to chase return or chase appreciation or anything. That's just a nice, a nice thing to have. The bonus. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like to use that same phrase. And the crazy thing is that I actually made a mistake on one of my, it could have been an early wholesale deal on a five unit in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Um, but I oh, actually wow. said that to the seller because he's like, why can't you buy it for more? I'm like, oh. you make all your money on the buy. And I'm driving home from that <laughs> meeting and I'm like, oh, just, but you know what? That's the stuff that you learn when you're out there, right? So a lot of people are scared to take the action, but on that ride home, I'm like, well, I am damn sure never going to do that again, right? So well, you learned, right? Yeah, you learned yeah. from it. Yeah. Yep. Did you, but and it, you ended up picking up that property, no? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Because no, you have was, another one in Lincoln, that's why. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the guy did end up selling it, but I, I can remember driving home just, man, shaking my head the whole way. <laughs> I was like, shoot. So what is your typical property right now? Because uh, obviously, especially in your market, the well, the appreciation might not have been super high. We all know the prices have gone up, and the market's pretty hot right now. Sure. So what's your typical right. property right now? So our typical property, we buy three twos and four twos built from 1977, 78 to about 1990, range from 1,300 to 1,800 square feet, all in what, what we call uh, HOA neighborhoods, like, you know, homeowners associations. So they all, you know, they're all pretty uh, stable neighborhoods. We're not buying too many, too many um, surprises from, from that perspective. So we know any... In our zip codes, when I get calls, I know without even looking at the house, it's, you know, if it was in okay shape, I know what it's worth just based on the street because we just know our, our nice. we call it the farm. We call it, we call it the farm. We know what everything, what, what things are worth. And so uh, typically we can get deals now for about, I want to say 90 to $95,000 for those houses. Uh, typically need to put in five to 15,000, depending on, on, on the condition. And then it will appraise for 140 or 150, uh, you know, just immediately. And so that so, is, yeah. But having having that vision to know exactly what you guys are looking for, right? That that's huge in itself. To say, hey, yeah, this is exactly it. And the way we got there, I will say this, and I, I should do the analysis to see if it's still true. But when we first kind of picked our our zip codes in our neighborhoods to target. We found these, I'm going to call them market inefficiencies, but the, the, the rent, the rent, the going rent for these houses was so much more than what a normal mortgage plus taxes and insurance would be. It was, it was crazy to me. And so if only these people could qualify for a mortgage or, or were in the, you know, in a position to, to have a mortgage, you know, then, but for whatever reason, the gap was so great. Uh, and so that's where we originally, that's why we chose these neighborhoods and they've been very, 
very uh, good to us for the years. But like for the, the opposite, in my neighborhood or in these other areas where uh, there are newer houses, the opposite happens, right? The, the mortgage is so much more than uh, than what you could rent it for from a or from a value or from a you know a rent to price ratio, you know, like a classic one percent. Um, that just doesn't happen in a lot of neighborhoods now, obviously across the country because of uh, skyrocketing values. But all of our houses, we typically look for, uh, if you take the, you know, the, the price per month in rent and divide it by your total uh, cost of the deal, so the price plus any rehab, we typically like to shoot for a 1.25 to 1.5% of value. And so um, and it's just, that's just been our, our metric and our standard from the beginning. There you go. Now, most of the stuff, are you out there actively marketing? Uh, you said that Dave was into the uh, an agent. I don't know if he still is, but are you guys buying? Yeah, so sales? yeah, so we're actually both agents now, which is just kind of we actually started a brokerage too, just for, just because we were bored. <laughs> so, <laughs> we were sick of we were sick of paying brokerages. You know, every time we filled a vacancy, uh, for whatever reason, in, in Houston, the MLS is very strong. You know, in other cities, there's some, you know, that you can get away with doing stuff on Craigslist or other local sites. Everything is done in Houston on the MLS in the in the single family space. It's very strong. Are, are wholesale is wholesaling legal as far as you know in Houston? Yes, it's very it's very hot right now. So we buy, we have our favorite wholesalers. I've heard you guys talk about that before. Um, so we have we have wholesalers we deal with, and they they'll come to us. When they have a deal and they're near the end of their their rope, you know, they, and they they gotta sell it or sign it. They know that we can close in seven days, uh, and you know, and usually we'll make them pay for it a little bit, but they still want to make some money. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but yes, we do buy from wholesalers if the deal is right and it fits our our criteria. And 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 that has just skyrocketed in the last two years. I mean, we so we mail letters, we mail yellow letters, uh, we mail about a thousand a month. Uh, to our target areas, so we're targeting non-owner occupied people with uh, some some significant equity, so they can sell it, uh, you know, at a discount. Um, yep. And uh, we thought about getting into the the digital space, you know, with some Google and whatnot. But I, the, the companies that we we talk to, these wholesalers, are spending like sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars a month. On, on ads, right? And it's just, I just, we just can't compete with that, just two guys. <laughs> so they're spending, I think we heard last, they're spending $8,000, $8,000 per lead uh, on Oof. advertising, right? So it's just, it's just, it's just an arms race down here right now. That's a wholesaling fee. Wholesalers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't imagine. Exactly. That's going to erode the margins really quickly. Yeah, for sure. So it, it's spiraling, it's spiraling down from, from a wholesale perspective. And luckily, we can usually pay. When, when people are, you know, kicking the tires and calling around on the letters that they all get, we can usually pay more than them, obviously, because there's one less mouth to feed. We're not paying a wholesaler. Um, so sometimes we can win the deal out that way. But uh, it has definitely slowed down in the last six to eight months as the market continues to just, you know, go up and up. Now, are you guys taking all the phone calls as they come in off the yellow letters as well, or do you try to automate any yeah, part of the process? Question. Yeah, so we, we just use Google Voice, send them all the voicemail, and then call back the ones that look good. So, you know, we're pretty small time. We have not, and we have not, uh, we have systems to because we manage all our own properties as well. Yeah. I'm crazy. But I just, it's hard for me to pay someone, I think I figured it out, like $75,000 a year for, I mean, literally, <laughs> I spend, you know, two hours a week on some of these. The only part that's hard 
is when we have a turnover. That's the only time I actually have to go to the house, you know, and check it right. out. But, um, but yeah, to answer your question, yeah, we, 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 we field all the calls ourselves and call people back after we do a little research on the product uh, and then, and then, you know, and then deal with it. Because that's our favorite part, actually, is the negotiation. That's I, what we love. I'm with and you. So, and I think the interesting part there, maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit. Um, I always heard you want to live answer that phone call to make sure that they don't call anybody else. Um, but you're saying you let her yeah. go to voicemail, you do some research, and then you pick up the phone call. What does that process typically look been, like? Yeah, so for us, we just leave a pretty uh, energetic message, and for, and it works. Out of every call we get, they always leave because we just ask them to leave their address, and we'll call them back. And we do call them back usually that day. Awesome. Uh, and so, but it's you know, if it's a good lead and, but they always leave their address and they usually, you know, give us a little background on why they want to sell it. which is just amazing to me. These people, I mean, that most of the time the people we're dealing with are people that have some type of pain, right? Either they've inherited a house, they don't know what to do with it, or they have a tenant that's been there for 10 years and they just left and they don't want to fix it up and they hate realtors and they don't, you know, and they just want to be done with it. Or they're an accidental landlord. They got relocated somewhere else and now they got this house and they don't want to fix it. And so those are the people where we can come to a deal pretty quickly and just take it off their hands. And they're very excited uh, and motivated, if you will. Now, you and must you just, get all right, go ahead, Jimmy. Yeah, I was going to say you just hit the nail on the head because I talked to a lot of wholesalers starting out or they're starting to do marketing. And they're like, what do I do when when I get that phone call? And they're, they're asking me, how much can I pay for their house? And they won't give me any other information. I'm like, you hang up the phone because they're not motivated. Right. Like huh. you're saying. Right. If they're motivated, you are going to hear it on the phone, right? And you're going to be able to For figure sure. out any information you need in order to get to some type of range to see if it's worth your time to go out to the property. And I will say something else that's interesting. So we mail five letters to the, in, in a row. So we'll mail like one about every three weeks or four weeks. Uh, and they get a little more aggressive as we go on. And, you know, the first, the first letter we usually get to people telling me to take them off their list, right? And they're not yeah, that's what I was going to ask. And they, <laughs> And then it cools off, and then you're like, well, this isn't working. But then by the fourth letter, that's when we – it's like it's like fishing. I don't know. It's like we've waited long enough. These people are now – they call and say, hey, I, I think you sent me three or four letters. This is interesting. Tell me what this is about. And so right. usually we get our conversion on the on the third or fourth letter, which is was always interesting to me at the beginning, but I think it makes sense to me now. So why yep. stop at five, by the way? Uh, so, well, so what we do after five, we Just take a break we from recycle. Yeah, we take a break and we mail to another thousand people, and then we'll come back to those people and those original thousand, uh, maybe after the, the you know the, the third campaign after we kind of alternate. Uh, and so you know people always ask me, why don't you expand? Or why don't you grow? And I was like, well, it's just two of us, and it's already. I mean, we love it. We don't want it to feel like it's a job. And, right, right. And so we're, we're you know we 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 struggle with that every day. Like, could we scale this thing and make it awesome and huge? And at the same time, like you know what. This is almost enough as it is, uh, you know. Let's and so right now we're kind of just, you know, managing, paying, paying these loans, and then obviously if there's any deals come up, we'll buy them. But really, kind of waiting to see what happens with, with this market, right? Because it just feels like uh, we're near somewhere near the top of a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we see yeah. it every day. Yeah. So what what made you decide? to stay stealthy as of right now you guys have a stealthy rich on instagram you have over ten thousand followers uh what made you stay stealthy yeah so we got we got the stealthy as well so we're blogging there each deal 
Uh, and we have so in, and and it's an utter detail, right? So core, we have all the gory details of, you know, we're putting every HUD out there. And so once we did that, and and our net worth, and so we said, well, if we do all that, maybe we shouldn't share our our identities at least at first, uh, because we both still have uh, full-time jobs. So I'm uh, I'm an IT consultant, work for uh, Fortune. I, I service Fortune 25 companies. Uh, yep. with IT uh, services. And then my partner, he's a CFO for a trucking company. Uh, but we both have significant flexibility in our day jobs. And so, you know, this is, this is really fun for us. And so we didn't want to, I don't know, jeopardize anything with, our, with, the, with the security of W-2 income or just, you know, kind of, kind of the, we read the millionaire next door. And that's kind of what our mantra or what our, our, uh, our method to our madness is, is that, you know, we have significant assets. We just don't flaunt them. But we're happy to teach people about all the things that we've done and share the process that we've followed and the systems we've created because we think a lot of people could benefit from it. But we're not necessarily trying to, uh, you know, I don't know, sell ourselves out there. You know what, sense. though? Frank, this goes back to my comment that I always talk about, and it resonates with the uh, Toyota Tundra comment. So I don't know if that was Chris or Dave on, <laughs> yeah. the, on the post today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I joke with Frank all the time because um, I own a property management um, business and all my wealthiest clients drive Toyotas, everyone, and I'm the only so idiot awesome. that drives a Jeep, right? That just breaks down all the time. But <laughs> when you were making the comment about Toyota Tundra earlier, I'm like, yeah, definitely wealthy. You, you said it in the right direction because that that it's just like par for the course. Um, but I definitely admire the fact that you guys don't flaunt it. I think that those are the the realest investors that I come across every day. Um, the guys that you know just take care of their families and and do what they need to do. So yeah, and our man Go ahead, Chris. What's that? Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say if you ever read uh, Remit uh, Sethi, uh, I think he wrote the book. I will teach you to be rich. You know the, the whole idea of spend your money on things that you care about and that bring you value and happiness. And so I am no, yep. in no wise uh, super frugal. I'm just very careful that I don't waste money on things that don't bring me happiness. And that's really where I think, uh, you know, a lot of the other movements, the FI movements and all these, it's all about cutting your cost to the bone and then just, you know, so you can quit your job and live to your 60. I'm, you know, I'm a very, uh, I want to say frugal person, but I'm just careful what I spend my money on and I have a lot of nice things, you know, quality over quantity for sure. But right. we just are careful not to buy stuff that, or spend our money on things that doesn't, that doesn't bring us happiness. So Chris, and I, I make you laugh. Um, my family on on my side of the family, they don't even know that I own any real estate. So, uh, so I've, awesome. I've, I've always been quiet <laughs> on it. Uh, it's because of Jimmy and some other people that I've gradually started to do more and more. And uh, and now, obviously, we're, we're, we're getting up there where we, ha- we, we really have our name for ourselves. But besides that, they still don't know. We don't talk about it at the, at the, at the dinner table or whatever. So big that's kick great. up. My yeah, kids know, but uh, my yeah, family. See, that's that's but, great. I figured it'll just kind of—it's like a soft opening. It'll just kind of happen go. on its own. <laughs> so, yep. so, what do you consider your biggest failure in real estate? Yeah, so I think we've been—we've been pretty careful and we're pretty conservative. But I would say, and we we touched on this earlier, there's a couple deals where we just didn't push fast enough or hard enough, and we did lose them to other people. I remember there was one—it was a sweet deal—and I said, "Okay, man." I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you the contract via email. We'll get it signed. And he told me his name and he said the email address. And I wrote it down. And I think it was, I can't even remember. I think, no, it was Raymond. It was his first name. And I spelled it wrong just in my head. He 
from a different way. So he never got my email. <laughs> so he uh. called it to somebody else. Right? I didn't check up quick enough. But so just that that mentality at first, and like you said, not knowing that the market was going to go this high this quick. I wish I would. There's probably seven, eight, nine deals that I wish I would have just pounced on because they they were just keepers. And then the other thing. I would say is that sometimes, and we struggle with this every day. I don't know if you guys do, but sometimes because the market's so high, we're like, well, we should sell some of these. We have so much yep. equity in them, trapped equity. Should we sell them and then just, you know, keep some cash or something? So when it, when it, cra- when it goes down again. And so we did sell a couple for some, some cash flow reasons. And, and now I'm kicking myself. I should have kept them. So now <laughs> we will not, we won't sell anything unless it's just a super dog that we you know that we misbought to begin with but warren buffett so. almost never sells anything so that should tell you Correct. one thing right there i mean we we, yeah. we are selling six this year but uh okay everybody's a little different and i'm in a different yeah. market too don't forget uh we joke That's that true. uh rhode island is uh usually the last one out of recession the first one in so <laughs> <laughs> the truth oh, it's the truth yeah yeah, and we just kind of sit, you know, we, in Houston, it's just, we just kind of, you know, even Steven all the time. It's, it's, it's even when oil, so that was when we had a, a pretty bad oil lump in 20, 2014 and, you know, oil was $40 a barrel. I think we only had one person lose their job in, in all of our tenants. So Houston's much more diverse than, than I once thought it was. So that's good. That's good for us. But it's, but we're not seeing the crazy appreciation that you see in you know some of the other markets and like on the coast for sure. Yeah. So let's see. Um, if someone wanted, besides following you, and uh, you guys do have a great blog, and uh, I love watching and Insta- following you on Instagram and everything else. Besides that, if there was one thing you could recommend to someone to make them a better investor, what what should they be doing? Yeah, that's the part. So if they're well, if they're starting out. I think for me, listening and learning from the original, I, I will plug it, the, the Bigger Pockets podcast to begin with, those first 50 were so critical to me in learning. I mean, I read all kinds of books, but it wasn't as, it wasn't as real to me than listening to these people, you know, step by step to talk about each part of investing, whether it's, whether it's doing flips or whether it's doing rehabs or doing yellow letters or doing, you know, how to finance deals, the different ways to finance it. And just listening to all those gave me the confidence to go out on the ledge and basically jump. Because before that, I mean, and then, and then the other part of that is, is getting a great partner. Um, I just, I, I would never have done this on my own. I just, and it's just so much more, even though we're splitting it 50-50 and people sometimes say, well, doesn't that hurt? I said, no, it doesn't hurt because we, it's one plus one equals three, in my opinion. And so, uh, when, when it's just much more fun to do with an investor too. I have someone to talk about things and bounce ideas off all the time. We just have a running, uh, you know, text message chat going all the time talking about things. But so the two things I would say is, you know, if you're starting out, get into a podcast, listen to those podcasts, try to join your local meetup. I'm sure there's a local meetup wherever you're at with real estate and find people that have your like, uh, you know, desires or, or like investing strategies. And, and befriend them, right? And and try to find a partner in your network that wants to, to jump into this crazy ride with you because that, that's what made all the difference for me. Jim, what do you think? Absolutely. I love the, the partner comment about the one plus one equals three. 
Uh, I'm with you 100%. I know that I wouldn't be where I'm at in my own personal business without my partner. So that one really hit home for sure. Cool. Yeah, and you hear, you hear stories about people have bad partnerships, right? And like, and I mean, Dave Ramsey always used to say, the only partnership is a sinking partnership or whatever. But, but that that's like my accountant. <laughs> my first accountant, he said, the only partner you should have is a dance partner. So. Right. But it's been the exact opposite for me. I mean, it's, it's the most fun thing. And so uh, it's, it's, it doesn't feel at all like a job. And it's just, you know, my, my wife jokes about me. She's like, and she's like, Chris, you know, you're weird because your hobbies make you money. And everyone else is playing golf or, you know, <laughs> doing expensive things. And you, you have fun by just going out and looking at houses. So yep. that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's how it works. For I feel you on that one. I agree yeah. on the partnership yeah. comment. Um, I have five partners between all my different LLCs, and uh, I enjoy every well, partnership. Awesome. And, uh, that's, that's great. Yeah, so what's really cool is that there's sometimes that I might not have anything going on on a couple of them, but you know, one of the LLCs, it's like, hey, let's buy this property. It's like, okay. And then at the same point, somebody else wants to buy one of the different one. It's like, yeah, that'll work. We can do two at once. And they, they, they know the other partners, but they're fine setting up the way we have it set up. You know, because they're doing other deals too. Like I know sometimes I see partnership agreements where you're not allowed to have a similar business, but no, we don't. We don't do that at all. It's uh, investing the team sport. I, we've helped a lot of people. And it's funny you say bigger pockets too, because uh, everything you said, we actually have a. I have a post on bigger pockets saying what's holding you back, and I keep pushing those things you're talking about: partnerships, yeah. networking, reading, listening to podcasts. All that stuff is one of the major things that I talk about on there. Well, it. And it's interesting because, you know, when they were first starting out, that's, you know, they, they gave a lot of the crown jewels away in those early podcasts. Now, I don't know if they ran out of things to talk about, or maybe maybe I'm just smarter now from being in, but it just seems like they're not, maybe a little bit watered down. And so those those original 50, though, were just like gold for me. And I just, I just oh, man, I can't say enough good things about them. So. I think you've built a lot of good experiences that you, like you said, you don't need them, and now you can actually be on a few. I'm sure that they, they would take <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's all so uh are, are you a big reader chris i am i am love reading so, in fact i have yeah. a backlog of books it's just outrageous <laughs> same same we i understand think I'm, I think I'm in between three or four books well, right the now struggle yeah. Is, yeah the struggle is is that i love i'm now creating content at least on the blog and whatnot and so i have to decide like do i, do I create content or do i consume content and I like doing them both, but it's, you know, it's, it's all about having the time now is the, is the bandwidth issue. It's not, it's not a, it's not necessarily a money or a skill thing. It's time. And that's, that's the one thing you can't really ever get more of. And so, uh, it's, it's finding ways to be more efficient and, and, uh, so that you can do those things. But, so, but yes, I do like reading. Awesome. If anything else, that's, that's the main reason why I had to leave my main job was that I did not have time to do everything that I wanted to do. I was just stretched too thin. You know, so. well, and, that's, and we talk about that often because, you know, the, the, we call them the golden handcuffs, our jobs, because they, they, they pay well and they have benefits and they're flexible and they're not stressful yet. So I, I joke at my job that, you know, I'm three bad days away from quitting. Three days. <laughs> and I, and, I've, and I've, I haven't had that right yet. So, uh, but if I ever did, then it, it would make an easy decision. But I just we just keep both stringing it along. But you're right. If we did quit, how much more, you know, potentially could we do it if we put our full full effort in? But we're just I saw a meme, quite a meme yet. like that. It said that um, 
when you quit your job, that's where you can really make money. You know, if you have the systems in place, if you have yeah. everything going for you, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So what's yeah. what's one book yeah, you would right. recommend for someone right now? Ah, one book is um, The Slight Edge. The Slight Edge oh, by Jeff Olson. By Jeff Olson. And that book, it's, it's very basic, but the idea is that incremental uh, returns or incremental progress adds up to a significant uh, delta over time. You know, and we all know that, like but that. he uses so many examples in life and in, and in finance and in health. You know, if you, if you eat poorly for three days in a row, it's not that big a deal. But if you eat poorly for six months in a row, you know, you're going to have a problem or a year. And so it all adds up. And so it's the same thing. Instead of trying to take huge bites, take small bites, small incremental progress, and over time, you'll be amazed uh, with, the, with the results. And so it, we love that because it applies directly to real estate. And the, the pro tip on that one, if you get the, I think it's the Audible or the, the audio book edition, he's got a forward in there that's like 10 minutes long that he, that he, um, that he actually is a narrator for. And it's just so inspiring. I listen to that whenever I'm in the car on a long trip. And it's like I love that. Of the world when I listen to that. So, I love that. <laughs> a great book. A great awesome. Book. Awesome. So, this reminds me of, uh, I've read Atomic Habits and it talks about incremental change and uh, just little things like people um, sometimes when they when they think about how much they can accomplish in a couple of days, they overshoot how much they think that it can accomplish, but they often undershoot right. what they can accomplish in a year. Right. Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's hard, it's hard for us to think in those longer time periods and understand how much that adds up. And it's the same thing with with interest, right? Whether you're borrowing money yeah, or, you or, you know, or, or, you know, people, I tell people I make, you know, 200, $250 a house per month. And they're like, well, that's not that much money. And then I'm like, yeah, but over time. Money. Yeah. I said, <laughs> right. multiply by 50 and guess what? It doesn't really take any work to do it. You know I mean? It's, it's somewhat passive. And so, uh, it's, it's hard for people to, to grasp that sometimes. Definitely. Yeah. So, I don't know if you want to give one more plug for your for your blog here and for your Instagram page. Um, oh, sure, yeah. So absolutely, yeah. So thestealthyrich.com. You can find us there. Like I said, we're, we we drop some just basic finance knowledge there, as well as we're outlining every deal that we've done, as well as crazy crazy tenant stories and and kind of the the wherewithal how we've built this this uh, this portfolio thus far. And then you know we also. Uh, do walkthroughs of our houses and uh, and all kinds of things on Instagram. So follow us there at the Stealthy Rich as well. Awesome. So guys, if you're listening, they are absolutely great guys to follow, and they break it down step by step, just like Chris talked about. Um, we hope that you enjoyed this podcast of the Cashflow Kings featuring the Stealthy Rich. Um, in between podcasts, if you want to check us out on our website at www.cashflowkings.com, or give us a follow on Instagram at the Cashflow King. Cheers to your success. The Cashflow Kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice. Each person should consult their own advisors prior to making any financial decisions.